What's up? What's up? Oh my gosh, it's been another beautiful, yes, my, my daughter's here and she is pretending to do take three. This is now take three. I have been trying to record since Sunday, you guys. OMG, I am super, super, really sorry. <laughs> but it's, you know, it's loud here and I've been getting a lot of clients asking me and asking for my help and my um, my advice on a lot of different things. So we're just gonna try our best to freestyle this episode into another segment um, of uh, relationships, adults only. <laughs> this is super, super popular with the ladies and the men now. So shout out to everybody who gave me feedback. I really appreciate that feedback about, you know, um, what works, what doesn't work, what is expected, what is it we need to work on in our relationships and how to really get the best experience in your relationship all the time. Well, so, whoo, <laughs> this is quite a big chunk to chew, and I just want to say that, you know, don't get overwhelmed if you don't get it right the first time. Um, one of the biggest lessons that I've learned so far while really focusing on my marriage and treating my marriage like a job is to make sure that I spend enough time celebrating and empowering myself and I say that because we <laughs> um I I first when I first got married um I was thinking about you know what I was supposed to be or who I was supposed to be in my marriage versus who I was when I uh, met my husband and like I said before in the last segment that those people are not necessarily the same person um, In my case, I definitely was not the same person that entered my marriage as I am today And there are several reasons for that. I've had another child. I've had to adjust to being a stay-at-home mom I have um, I, I have had to adjust to being in a foreign country as an expat and really try to like find my way and learn a new language and all of those things affect your growth and development. I gotta tell you, <laughs> it is not boring <laughs> in our house or our marriage. Um, I also want to reassure everyone, I'm just turning the TV down guys because there's a lot of noise here trying to keep the baby entertained while I, you know, reach out to my adoring public. <laughs> but um, one of the things uh, that I had to start to really work on even before I got pregnant was um, myself. <laughs> and I can tell you right now that the main reason why I did that was because once the relationship kind of sort of got into a a rhythm of regularity and familiar familiarity. I'm, I'm not going to say it got boring, but it got sort of like mundane where you just kind of like, hey, what's up? <laughs> you know, you see this person every day and they just now are like a part of your life and it's no longer as sexy or as romantic as it used to be because now they're like your husband, not in the sense of, oh, my husband, you know, so in love, but, but in the sense of like, yeah, this is dude that I'm married to, you know, pay the bills with, get the groceries with. Uh, 
<laughs> have breakfast with and sees you, you know, without your makeup. <laughs> that sense of familiarity is um, takes away the romantic nature of uh, your relationship. And, you know, I've heard some people say they don't really experience that or, you know, every day they're in love. Um great wonderful awesome i'm happy for you there is something that you have discovered <laughs> that i had to discover in order to keep the relationship fresh yes <laughs> um we never had a problem with uh, with with freshness everything has always been really new and exciting because that's just naturally my personality for those of you who tend to fall into like um for those of you who tend to fall into the category of lifestyle where there aren't any like immediate challenges or new things to learn in and outside of yourself, this may come a little bit faster. Um, and it can also put strain or it can also be a really good thing for the relationship. So what I learned to do um, is to speak very clearly my expectations but before I learned how to speak my expectations clearly I had to understand that I my expectations matter and understanding that my expectations matter meant that I had to really take some time out to boost my self-esteem and encourage myself into um, speaking up and taking responsibility for my own happiness within my relationship with my not only my husband but with my kids too and um it wasn't easy at first because um I think I learned to suppress myself very very early on in my life and just to kind of go along with what other people expected of me and put that first because I wanted to belong to my family, feel loved by my family and supported and, you know, cared for. And that meant that I had to do what everybody else wanted to do. And what I wanted to do just kind of sort of came second. <laughs> and so when I got married, um, it was, <laughs> it was a double-edged sword because the interesting thing was that First, that was one of the things my husband adored about me, you know, is that I was always putting him first, always putting my kids first, and just, like, whatever was left over for me to give to myself was what I gave to myself. What that meant in the longer run was that my body just started to say no. If I think I speak about this doctor in my other podcast, but I'm just going to reiterate his uh uh, his material because it's so good and so powerful and eye-opening is that he wrote this bo this book called When the Body Says No. And basically what what the book talks about is how you get physical ailments from not from unresolved issues of not feeling good enough by suppressing your emotions and your own needs. So um, how did that show up in my relationship? Well, you know, you're going through the, the, the honeymoon phase where everything is fresh and new and you're in each other's faces all the time and you're so in love and everybody just wants to be around each other. And then you discover, for whatever reason, like for me, I discovered that, all right, well, <laughs> that's not realistic or sustainable because, you know, you have to eat and you have to, you know, do other things and he has to go to work and, when you come home from work, then you're kind of tired, and it's just like, okay, I just need to... 
<laughs> I just need to, my husband just sent me a message saying he's going to cut somebody's fingers. I'm sorry, I digress. I just needed to start to focus on me because my husband just went back to work and started focusing on him. And then I was left with uh, nothing to do. You know, you come home, you're housewife, you clean the house, uh, and then you have all this extra time on your hands to just do nothing. <laughs> I mean... I eventually found things to do, you know, paint, but it gave me the opportunity to find a quiet space to really start to unearth a lot of hurt and pain that I never had the chance before to deal with. Wow, what a mouthful, right? <laughs> and so when you start to unearth this and you don't really have the, uh, the, the tools to heal and to go in a direction of peace so that you can bring up to yourself uh, to the relationship, something more than just, um, your baggage, you will find, well, I found myself in a situation where I was getting on my husband's fucking nerves. OMG. <laughs> I was just very unhappy and very scared all the time. And just everything that he did triggered me. And he was basically the scapegoat for a lot of issues that were starting to come up because now in the silence of the home, I was left with myself. And so what I did was I started to numb the pain by drinking and he started to join me in the drinking so that I wouldn't, so, so that we would have something in common, if that makes any sense. And he was also, it was the basically like the only way that he could really be around me because I was very difficult to be around when either one of us was sober. We were both difficult for either one of us to be around. Yeah. And then add to that the fact that we have children. So at that point, we had one child, um, my daughter from a previous relationship, living with us, still living with us. But, you know, she's she was adjusting to being in a new country and really wanting him to step up as a dad and really enjoying me being in this new role of stay-at-home mom who's always available to her but it was just a lot to have to be the wife the stay-at-home mom and deal with my own internal stuff so drinking didn't help that's the end of the story right there what drinking did was created a uh it created a sort of a um a band-aid on an open gaping room, <laughs> which was like a temporary relief for hurt, pain and hurt that I experienced from way, 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 way back. And the trigger is why this all happened was because when my daughter fast was fast approaching the age that I was when I started experiencing so many different things, um, I began to all of it just began, began to rush back into my life and my mind. And so it was all great, you guys. It was a great opportunity for me to deal with those things and to do things different and break the family pathology of parents not being there for their children. Not to say that my parents weren't there. They, prob they did their best with what they had and knew, but... Um, we had an opportunity, I have had an opportunity that I'm thankful for to do better by being more present for myself. And so the drinking basically, um, just, yeah, it would, it, it just put my body in constant stress because when you drink the next day, 
Um, well, when I drink the next day, my body started st- taking a lot of time to recover. And then you need the coffee and then the coffee makes you crash. And then the crash makes you tired and the tiredness makes you irritable and hard to deal with. And then you just kind of need more alcohol to numb that pain the, fa- the following evening when you crash so that you could kind of mellow out for the day and then repeat the cycle again, over and over again. So what happened to me? <laughs> I wrote a few books that I- are not published (laughs) so don't get all screwy eyed on me i'm not even probably sure i want to publish them but these books basically just spoke on my different experiences of my life and um acted as a as an outlet for me to really look at my life what i unearthed by word through words and really start to see like okay well this is a trigger and that's a trigger and this is a habit and a pattern that i have and this is my pathology and i just really use the opportunity of being a housewife to unearth all that pain to say this is what i need to heal from and i started Uh, probably everybody's gonna like end this podcast right here but I started my spiritual journey Um, I started going to church and I started to you know listen to the Word of God more regularly and started to build my spiritual community within the Catholic Church because that's what I know Um, but outside of that I honestly I'm also a very big fan of self-development and so I I, I would read podcast. I would listen to podcasts and I would uh, watch YouTube videos from Owen and Oprah and Yanla Van Zandt and Lisa Nichols and Tony Robbins. You know, I really started to unearth that when I found out that I was pregnant because then I was like forced to not drink anymore. <laughs> and the not drinking created an opportunity for me to like sober up, clean up and just start to really deal with what it is I want to pass on to my child that I can do differently this time around as a mom now that I have um, a husband. And um, how can I improve my marriage in a way that we are speaking our expectations in a productive manner that can benefit um, me and my partner. And so once I started to answer those questions and my husband thankfully started his spiritual journey as well. I mean, we started our spiritual journey before I got pregnant, but we saw it as more important when I got pregnant and we, were, began, to, we began to be a little bit more consistent with it. Um, wow, now that I'm slowly approaching 15 minutes, I can see that this is going to be a two-part segment. So that is what happened. So, um, yeah, to be continued, guys, I hope you enjoyed this podcast and subscribe. Hey, guys, what's up? This is now take two. Oh, yes, it is. This is how dedicated I am, guys. I am just. I just keep on trying, even though people are like screaming in the background like a little too much. It's okay when they scream like a little bit, but too much (laughs) screaming doesn't make this happen. So this is part two of the relationship segment that is talking about how to get uh, the most out of your relationship within reason of certain things that I think 
have really worked for me. I talk about spirituality in the last segment. So if you and I talk about um, self care in the last segment, I talk about the 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 journey to self. I talk about addicted uh, um, self soothing versus addictive behavior to soothe from emotional pain. So if you haven't checked out that episode, please go back and look at that because now we're gonna divulge a little bit more. Um, I just talk a little bit about the journey. Now I'm gonna talk about the process and a little bit more deeper into the journey so my husband and I he reminded me with glary eyes today because today was Crabble Grippa I digress anyways we were somewhere somebody asked us how long we've been married I told them we've been married I don't know and he looked at me with glary eyes and said we have been married for four and a half years <laughs> so to date we've been married since 2014 and I just want to speak who I hope I could cover all everything that I need to cover in 15 minutes. I'm going to try, but if I don't, it's going to be part three coming up. So just bear with me. So basically, my husband and I, we got married four years ago, and we got married in the Catholic Church, right? When we met each other, I was in a very deeply wounded place. I just got out of a really bad relationship, and I met my husband. If you haven't checked that episode out, how the Good Wife series, I think it's a four-part series, but I talk about that in more detail in that episode on YouTube, so please check it out if you can find me. I'm there. So, <laughs> uh, we met, fell in love, and I held back, he held back. A couple, mo- a couple years later, we uh, got to a place where I was just like, you know what, let's see where this goes, um, no pressure, And so um, he came back to Belize a couple of times. And in in that time, I had began to clear a lot of lies. I'm going to talk about that in a separate series, lies and deceit, what it brings, how you... Um, how you damage yourself, your image, and your possibilities when you lie to your partner. Oh, ooh, yes, that that sounds good. Oh, I just exercise the demons. Anyways, I'm getting very distracted. Sorry, I am not drunk or high. I'm just having a lot of fun because my kids are actually giving me an opportunity to do this. So, yeah, so the relationship begun kind of rocky and I'll tell you that it was mainly because we really needed to exercise our trust muscle and our faith muscle that everything was basically going to be okay. The second thing why it was rocky was because whatever it is worth having is worth fighting for and so I think that if he had just given up and been like you know what I'm not going back to Belize it's too much money it's too expensive I'm not I'm just not going to do this would have been my answer that would have been my answer to knowing that it was never meant to be but i saw him making the effort and i started making well i i was always making an effort but in the process of making the effort you start to get really really attached and so we both came in the relationship with preconceived expectations of what it is we wanted and didn't want but i always knew how to speak to that on my side because I had been doing the work separate and apart from my relationship on myself that meant that I knew who I wanted to be with and what that person had to look like, act like, talk like, be like. And he knew that from the very beginning that we met. You know, I invited him to church so he could know I'm an avid churchgoer. He saw me with my kid. 
um, in a very neutral setting, you know, and I just really made sure that I was open, but very cautious not to do certain things too early in the relationship. And I say that first because I feel like before when I just kind of was so desperate, interested and thirsty to be in a relationship, I compromised way more than I would have had I known what my value was. Are you listening to me, ladies? Can you hear me? Can you feel me? Yes. Yes. I have friends who (laughs) sleep around. Hey, been there, done that, not judging, but who sleep around with these men and don't know what their pathological status is. Hello, can you hear me? Don't leave me out here by myself. What is that? I don't play that. My body is a temple of the Lord and I cannot compromise it in such a fashion that would make my daughter be shamed. I cannot compromise it in a way that would make my mother be shamed. I cannot compromise it in any way that would make myself be shamed because I know my value. And any man who touches me has to know that value. Now, don't get it twisted. Girl got feelings. Girl got emotions. Girl got needs. But girl need to understand, girl is not going to be a girl forever. <laughs> One of these days, you're going to grow up and be a grown-ass woman. And all of this stuff is going to be lying right in your face. And you're going to have to answer to somebody about how you conducted your life. Now, <laughs> I'm just going to let that sink in. Because basically, in other words, when you are a woman who is expecting to find deeper meaning in the relationships and the connection and the intimacy that you want that requires some level of self-control in order not to deprive yourself, but to really, really build up that sense of intensity when you finally get the chance to connect with the person who has done the work themselves on themselves, who can speak the same language as you spiritually to connect you in a deeper way that sex just can't. Ooh, I'm going to let that sink in for a moment. We're at seven minutes, your highness, and we are just getting started. All right. Yes. So (laughs) when me and my husband passed through the first honeymoon phase of our relationship And I wasn't clear about what it meant for me to be an expat in a country where I am a minority. And I was looking to him to be my savior, my grace, my secretary, my personal assistant, my translator, my international ambassador. And he was like, what? what? Me? I'm trying to get my shit together too. And so when you're not clear and the person is not clear because you had not spoken the expectations that you are supposed to speak of your partner. So at least they can give you the opportunity to say, I can or I can't or let me meet you halfway. Then you leave room. I left room for my relationship to be damaged. I'll tell you a very quick short story of how my husband had his nose of my crap because I was always the damsel in distress and while that may have been cute when we were dating it was no longer cute to be the woman whom had to have his back 
Now, I'm going to say it again slowly so you get it. While being the damsel in distress, being the little girl who needs, you know, this and that and the other and who needs sugar daddy to take care of this and take care of that. While that might be cute, while you're dating, when you become a wife, when you become wifey, when you become a woman, something different, greater and deeper is expected of you. That's just the way it is. You don't know what that something is. But I suggest you go home right now, talk to your husband, and figure out what that expectation is. Because he will speak it not only in his actions, but in his words. He will speak it in his actions. And so the frustration is, is that we both, you know, have these expectations. I had expectations of my husband. He did not meet them. And I think that it was very unfair of me to have those expectations because those expectations were not his to meet and I think that this is one of the things that messes up marriages for the most part what I've been hearing and I thank God for the feedback I'm not gonna call anybody out um because I do this because I identify with a lot of what I hear and I just like to share my experience of what works and what doesn't it does not work or it did not work with my husband for me to expect him day in and day out to be my listening ear, to be my spiritual guidance, to be my everything. Because he is a human being that put his pants on one pant leg at a time and he has his time where he needs to be alone with himself. He has down days. He has up days. And so do I. And so when he's down and I'm up or I'm up and he's down, then we need to understand that everybody just needs to gather up their own emotions, take it to the Lord, <laughs> and learn that the challenge is for you to remind each other that... Um, it's for you to remind each other that this is an experience that should be a joyful one and that we should always not ignore but lean into the things that trigger us to negative emotion so that we can heal from that negative emotion. So what I had to do very, very quickly um, is, like I said before, stop drinking and <laughs> swallow my pride and drown my ego long enough to hear the hard truths about me from my husband, husband so that I can learn how to be a better wife to him. Not a better wife, period, but a better wife to him. And first, deciding if this relationship is worth keeping. The second thing I had to do was to recognize bullshit. <laughs> Because it's not always your fault, ladies. No, it wasn't always my fault. Well, I had to learn how to recognize bullshit when I, see, when I see it, right? So I could give you a few examples, not to call him out, but he has some habits that I really didn't like that, affect, that triggered me. And so I allowed those triggers to come up and let me really uncover what they were really about. And I'll give you some step-by-step -step tips right now with this. I uncovered the trigger and then I would then figure out what it is about this that was triggering me. What was it rooted to? So that I could go back to my husband and say, you know what, nothing personal against you and the way you handle the situation. But for me, this works better. I like it better when you talk to me this way about this issue. And knowing 
when this is what I learned from my grandma okay this is 50 years of marriage here talking knowing when exactly to bring that shit up because if you come home from a long day's work honey pie sweetie bunch and your woman is jumping on you as soon as you hit the door you haven't had a chance to eat shit drink your water nothing you wash your face clean your hand nothing she dumping on you like white on rice what do you think is going to be the response to such a uh, presentation you go automatically be on the defensive so I had to learn and it was one of the hardest things for me to learn is to know when to have certain conversations so we have rules and I could tell you behind these rules I will explain very deeply that <laughs> they came out of big epic titanic arguments we're talking screaming hollering i gotta leave the house in because i'm about to choke a bitch um kind of conversations where you know um we don't accept phone calls after nine o'clock we don't text anyone after nine o'clock as a matter of fact i turn my phone off when i'm about to when nine o'clock hits unless i have a lot of work to do or i have a client that i'm speaking to directly you would not have me having a conversation with anybody after 9 o'clock, neither my husband. We don't have deep, meaningful, um, um, mind-tantalizing, uh, brain-teaser conversations about, you know, how we go fix the world after 9 o'clock. No, it, we, we keep it very light, very simple, and if something comes up that is too heavy, that requires a little bit more thought... Whether we're on vacation or not, well, it might be different if we're on vacation, but most of the time, we make sure that we save those conversations for a time where the both of us can be fully present and the children are not present, depending on how heated we know the conversation may or may not get. We make sure that we schedule those conversations where we can have at least an hour to powwow. The end, and we make sure that in that hour, we come up with some sort of solution. So we know, begin with the end in mind. The result that I want is this. The end result that I need is X or Y or Z. How can we get here or there? That way you go in with, okay, this is going to be a productive conversation because we want to get something uh, good out of it or we want to get something resolved out of it. All right. The next thing, and I know this might not fit for everyone, and this is, <laughs> let me tell you, the reason why couples maybe, and I'm over my 15-minute mark, are unequally yoked is because you guys are speaking peaches and oranges, guys. You're not speaking the same language when it comes to this topic, and that is spirituality. Now, there is other things like raising your children. I don't know how much of a fundamental thing this is, for you as a couple, but for me, my spiritual journey and my children are priority number one in my life. So much so that I told my husband one time that I am willing to walk away from this marriage if we can't get this shit right together because I cannot compromise this with you where you get to do what you want to do and I'm thinking and focusing and doing something else. So part three is coming up. I hope you guys enjoyed the segment. Please leave your comments below and let me know how you think, how you feel about what I'm saying, what I'm laying down. Bye! Yeah, what's up, what's up, guys? I know it is part three. Wow!
wow. I know it is just like, ah, she's on fire. <laughs> I know I'm going to do, I'm going to hope and pray that I could do this on YouTube a little bit more efficiently because I literally have like a two minute intro <laughs> at beginning of part two so i'm really sorry you guys i'm a talker let's get into it spiritual growth and child rearing again i am super excited for your feedback i'm super super happy about your feedback it really makes me feel like you know like i'm making a difference in someone's life it doesn't matter if it's just one <laughs> um so anyways back to it i was talking the last time about being unequally yoked, you know, or not having the same fundamentals when it comes to things like parenting and raising your kids with a spiritual foundation. Um, wow. Yeah, this is really, really big for us. I think it is the reason that has made our marriage so different from all the other relationships that I see around. And I use the word spiritual foundation very, very purposefully because I think that while I'm Catholic and I, you know, subscribe to the Catholic institutional uh, practice, <laughs> I believe that it is something that partners have to decide and agree on together um, in order to have some sort of reference point when things become difficult for you. I'm sorry, I literally just drank some water in the middle of this episode. Wow. <laughs> so basically, the reason why... Wow. The reason why spiritual a spiritual foundation is, for me, a very, very big priority is because it keeps us reminded of the true meaning of unconditional love. It keeps us reminded, my husband and I, of course... <laughs> It keeps us reminded of how to see our children as beautiful little beings so that we can be um, anchored in loving them even when they're not so lovable. <laughs> and the same thing with my husband, you know, like he gets his grounding to deal with my my ways, <laughs> my flaws, and it's the same thing for me. So when I start off my day with like reading the Bible, you know, or getting some sort of motivational um, outlet that I'm being encouraged and being thankful and forgiving myself for any mistakes that I've made. And I hope you're making notes right now <laughs> because this is exactly a step-by-step -step process that I use that helps me to center, focus, and puts me in a in a, in a really euphoric state that helps me to deal with the challenges of the world. And, you know, my husband and my kids belong to that world and they're human beings, not any different from me with flaws. And when I'm able to, <laughs> when I'm able to refer to them from a place of love, then when they're being challenging, I can handle the situation more productive and um, loving and understand that I'm going to make a mistake and I'm going, we're going to argue and we're not, we're not always going to see eye to eye all the time because we're all flawed human beings and we all make mistakes all the time. It's not about making less mistakes. It's about learning how to 
work together through them. So that is my spiritual journey. <laughs> um, we go to church every Sunday. We listen when we go to church every Sunday. Our, um, we, sometimes when we can't go to church and be a part of our church community, I would check in with my spiritual um, buddy, who is my mother. And, um, uh, or I would um, read some extra material. You know, I would go for a walk in nature. I would pray the rosary, sort of. For me, praying the rosary is a type of meditation. And I encourage people to do medita uh, meditative practice uh, every day if possible. Uh, for me, it is not possible <laughs> unless I get up really early before my daughter and I'm able to slither out of bed before she can notice I'm gone for 15 minutes. But basically, that is what my meditative process is. Sometimes I'll just lie in bed and go over it in my head while I do some deep breathing. And that is just to focus on forgiveness, thankfulness, faithfulness, um, kindness, and uh, goodness, the fruits of the spirit. This is Beatitudes. It's a song, so I know it out of my head. <laughs> so that for me is something that we do um, individually and together as a family. When we can't go to church, we sit at home and we watch the readings on YouTube. <laughs> and that is also, I'm sorry, if you guys hear my daughter in the background, she's, <laughs> she has a slight cold. I'm so sorry. Um, but yeah, so we do that while, while we're at home or we do it with our community. It's always good to join a spiritual community because the spiritual community really helps you in your dark times or your hard times where you need to borrow somebody else's faith and they keep you encouraged and in perspective. So I like to do that too. Um, check in with your spiritual buddy. That really helps. So... Um, the kids, yes, and this is a non-negotiable for me, you guys, you, every relationship has their non-negotiables, and it doesn't mean that I would, like, I don't know what I would do, I would have to really, he would have to leave, like, he, he, we don't have to get divorced, but <laughs> I told him, you know, and we agreed that if it ever gets to the point where something comes up, oh, and this is what I'm going to bring up in this segment, is the preparation of marriage. So the reason why we have this spiritual foundation and reference point is because we spent, brace yourself, six months before we even solidified. Because, you know, we were like, oh, you're so hot, you're so cute, we're so smart. Uh, we should get married. And so we, he proposed, and I went back to my church, and I got permission, and we started the spiritual advisory process that takes couples through the step-by-step -step process of uncovering what, mar what lies ahead in store for marriage. And we did that for six months. So every Saturday, I'd Skype my husband in with his very limited English <laughs> at that time. And we would discuss the role of the wife and the husband in marriage. And it's very practical stuff like who pays the bills, who goes to work, who does the chores, who takes out the garbage. You know, what do you do when you have conflict? How do you raise your kids? Do you spank your kids? Do you put them on timeout? You know, and um, 
and also intimacy, giving yourself to your husband and giving yourself to your wife and what is the role of, there's so many different aspects and we got like a little pamphlet and we actually um, refer to it when we're having a hard time. We refer to our spiritual marriage pamphlet that reminds us of what our oaths and vows mean when we stood on that altar because hey, the day-to-day will make you forget. It's not every day I wake up in the morning and I think about the day I got married to my husband, what he wore, how green he looked because he had too much to drink the night before. Like, <laughs> you don't think about that every single day, you know? And so it is always a helpful reminder, and we try to make sure that we do that at least once a month where we remind ourselves of things that have come up since that since we took those vows that are new or old that we need to heal from um, agree on work out or grow into some more because um, it's a process you know (laughs) and and we're committed to the process and we treat this like another job so we pull that out every now and then and we go over things We, we we pray together we pray together when we eat together we check in with the kids on a regular basis um um, and that is my next topic in the next four minutes. I hope that I give this the, 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 the attention that it deserves. Raising children in a way where they feel loved, no matter what your judgments are of what they should or should not be doing, should be the number one priority of your parental uh, responsibility. I cannot stress it enough because I was raised in a family of the academia where academics was the most important in your family. It wasn't your happiness. You had to get a job, go out, make money, come home, and make the family proud. So if you wanted to be an artist like I did, um, or you wanted to be a psychologist like I did, you know, I was very discouraged because I was told, well, you can't read. So a psychologist has to read a lot. That means that, you know, what are you going to do? So I encourage my kids to just, you know, scream when they're mad, <laughs> talk with us when they have a problem. My daughter, my older daughter sings all the fucking time. <laughs> she is a constant radio music box thingy that's just, the minute she gets in the house, she's like, la, 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 I love you, I love you, and I, you know, she's like Katy Perry and... Migos and Drake all bundle up in one 24-7 as long as her eyes are open. So there honestly have been times where I'm just like, shut up. But I don't say that, you know, because I want her to be free and to, to express herself and to enjoy her life and to really be happy. And so that when she looks back on her childhood, and she thinks about, well, how is it with your mom? Or how is it with your dad? You know, well, we listen to my music together. We bake cookies together. We would bake cakes on weekends. They would come to my basketball games. That's what, that's what kids remember. And so I really believe that the father should be present as much as possible. My husband changes poopy diapers because we talked about that long before my daughter, my youngest, even came on the scene. Um, he, you know, courted 
my eldest in the sense that, you know, he made sure that he developed a relationship with her when he was thinking about marrying me so that they had their synergy too. That means that, you know, when you're present as a father, you have to be present. You're not just a paycheck. You're not just, uh, you're not just a person that comes home and everybody has to shut up because you're home now because you're tired from a day's work. No. Um, well, we do that. You know, if he's tired, we're not going to, you know, break up pots and pans and start making a band. You know, sometimes he does come home and he's tired and needs that time alone. We do that. But he's also very, very, very present. My husband, you know, has taken my daughter to the doctor when she had, you know, problems. My my oldest daughter tells her tells him about her, you know, her crushes and her first kiss and hopefully it was only one first kiss. <laughs> you know, and and so she has a healthy reference reference point of how a man is supposed to treat a woman. It wasn't always like that. My husband and I had to really work on our relationship so we can set a good example. We have fought in front of our children and I'm happy to say that we have not done that in almost a year and I'm very proud of that because we both and that also belongs to the you know not being in a state of stress over work or drinking or anything so we really make sure that again this goes back to checking yourself because when you check yourself and you know how stressed you are and you know how much work you need to do on yourself the, the better parent and person you can be to the people around you. And so this is the reason why we stop doing a lot of the stuff that we do. And we have so much, we have such a better quality relationship with both our children because we have the energy, the stamina, and the emotional presence to, to really be there for them when they need us, even when they don't. And so people are amazed all the time how independent our kids are you know how friendly they are how outgoing are and that comes from they knowing from the interaction they have with us that they're loved when they scream when they cry we're there for them we pick them up um when they're hurting we don't punish them we don't send them to their room instead of giving them a time out like dr uh, meta says we give them a time in what's on your mind what's bothering you why are you behaving in this way um, this is not like you, or is this like you, and why? Why do you think that it's okay? What can I do for you to support you through this emotion so that you know who you are, so you can be a happier person? It's not about pleasing us as parents. It's about being the happiest person because happy people just don't treat other people badly. And so we're really working on that now that puberty's hit. <laughs> it hit hard. <laughs> and the, the, the toddler series is hit. And... Um, we're very happy about how different they are from the, the typical teenager and the typical toddler. Um, and that comes from our girls really knowing that they have a place, a safe place with us where they're heard, protected, loved, respected. And um, my daughter just told me yesterday that I don't respect her. <laughs> I still got a lot of work to do, guys. Sorry. <laughs> Um, but I do, and I want to make sure that I conduct that and show that in the way I speak it to her and the way that I'm going to, um, really, really own in and zone in on showing her that respect is by learning how to speak respectfully to her, to myself and forgiving myself more for the mistakes that I made in the past, um, uh, in the past years when I was raising her, when she was the age of her sister. Now, 
Wow, what a 15, 16 minute mouthful. Wow, I hope you guys enjoyed this three part series. It's been lovely working with you. We're gonna shift gears and talk more about parenting the Helm Curse next series. I hope you guys stay tuned. I love you, be safe. Please keep your comments coming. I enjoy them and I enjoy um, hearing back from you and being a listening ear and a, and a good friend and buddy to uplift you in your journey. I'm your friend, I'm here, and I'll be seeing you again next time. Bye! What's up, guys? Hey, welcome back to my channel. I know it's been like forever and a day that I have been on here, and I knew that I said that I was going to talk about sexual politics, um, part one on my podcast, and I didn't, so I'm just going to do that first um, and try to keep it as short as I humanly possibly can, and I want to thank everybody for commenting and leaving their remarks and experiences with me and the team. We really, really, really appreciate it. Wow, wow. So I just wanna break down the basics before we get into the complicated stuff or the more deeply enriching, enriching part um, and deal with first what sex and sexual politics is and the topic of womb power. Wow. <laughs> Wow. Um, so basically, sex is, you know, it's how we all got here. <laughs> um, well, how most of us got here anyways. And at the turn of the century, of course, we have started to uh, evolve as a race into uh, artificial insemination. And that's a great thing for people who want to have children and cannot have children or want to raise a baby and nurture and, you know, bring more life into the world and for whatever reason cannot do it the old-fashioned way. And so that's a great step forward for everyone, but for the rest of us, we got here through having sex. Somebody had sex with somebody, and that's a natural part of continuing the human race. And, of course, there is a lot of taboo around this topic. Why? Because... Uh, according to a community developer who studied human, uh, anthrop uh, sorry, anthropology and human development and communities, I, I hope I'm saying her credentials pop up properly. I'm sorry, I couldn't actually physically have her here to be interviewed. She's not much of a techie, so I couldn't even get her to like record herself and send it to me. But basically what she was saying was that Sex has always been a very powerful part of our uh, existence, of course. It is one of the ground necessities of human desire. And since we've, uh, ground necessities of human desires. And since we have evolved, that hasn't really very much evolved at all. <laughs> well, it's still one of the reasons why we do most of what we do, especially men. Um, and so, well, who are we kidding? Men and women do everything we do because of that one desire to procreate, procreate, belong, and feel cared for, which is what you w should get out of any sexual experience that you were having, and that's part of the reason why marriage was invented. But we're not going to talk about marriage. We're only going to talk about sex and sexual politics. Why sexual politics? <sighs> Let me just take a breath. <laughs> it's early in the morning. Not really, but... I just got up. Sexual politics is, or poli sex can become highly political when you talk about things like gender, race, relation, gender, race, and relations. Also, uh, when you're talking about equality for pay, 
women, a woman's right to choose, uh, or, and or a woman's right to um, be in the workplace. All of those things make sex very political because the truth is, speaking for most men out there, or most men that I've spoken to so far, they have a lot of problems with women in certain professions, guys. <laughs> and I'm not going to grow go much into that this session, only to say that things like sexual harassment and um, what a woman should wear or shouldn't wear because it's distracting to the man or distracting to other women or just plain old distracting <laughs> comes from why sex has become so political because... Um, those things affect, according to some men, their ability to work and focus and draw on their energy to build themselves. So here we go again. Um, Adam blaming Eve. <laughs> um, not to quote the Bible in this session, but it just, I don't know, it just came to my mind. So that is definitely one of the reasons why sex is very political. Another reason that a lot of anthropologists have quote, quoted, quoted, quote, is that um, in terms of equality of pay or in terms of a woman's right to lead, um, a lot of people feel like because women, especially if they're married or if they plan on getting married and they're going to have their career, then how can they do the job just as efficiently as a man? when they have the sole responsibility of raising children and rearing children. Now, I know tying this into the direct act of sex can seem a little bit complicated for some people to understand. I've tried to explain this or <laughs> and have gotten very, very weird looks like, what do you mean? What does mothering have to do with sex? Um, yeah, I've literally got those questions. So basically, I'm really, really, really trying to simplify a very complex um, paradigm that we seem to be trying to emerge out of through the women's movement and through me, the Me Too movement. And um, these are some of the challenges that the people who have started to speak up, both men and women, are experiencing, is the sexual politics of a woman's place versus a man's place, what a man has earned and what a woman has earned um, in terms of their place in society or their right to a profession has a lot to do with gender and gender has a lot to do with sex because sex is always at the root of what is controlling um, the decisions that are being made about us and by us um, whether we think believe or want to admit it or not and so it's is having this kind of conversation from this perspective and basis grossly simplifying something that is very complicated or is it really simplifying something that we are just trying to make complicated so that's the question for part one i hope that you guys have um, a great day so far and i hope that this has basically shed some light as to how and where and um 
how and where we're really coming from when it comes to having this conversation because I would really love for us to continue to shed some light on what are some of the sexual political conversations that are taking place based on this information. So I'm going to share a little bit more background and history in our next session, but until then, I will see you later. Thank you guys for stopping by. Please like and subscribe. Check out my YouTube channel and my Facebook. There, There's always some um, great conversations happening that I would love for everyone to participate in. And so see you next time. Bye.